All right, so um, here's the, the process that we're engaged in, and, and I think um, you know, m most of us probably are on the same page. We, we kind of know that. Um, but anybody that wasn't here or hasn't been here, whatever, just to kind of update you on where we are in the process, you know, we have, uh, I presented a few weeks ago a, a proposal for new bylaws um, to come to the church, and um, we, what those bylaws most significantly would do would recognize the pastorate as not a singular person, but a plurality of men, of godly men who are qualified uh, to lead the church in such a direction, in a godly way. And over the last three weeks, my aim has really been to present a biblical argument for what the Bible says of how a church should be structured. And I, I know I, I do this, you know, I know that there are some things that we talk about as a church that, you know, either may be hard to talk about or, you know, you may kind of go, I don't really care anything about this, you know. And some of you probably have more than once said, I wish we just have the vote already and, you know. I get that, I do, uh, I really do, believe me, as one who prepares this, I really do. Um, so my goal is really to, uh, we, over the last few weeks, we've kind of looked at the Bi what the Bible has to say, the New Testament, its argument, and what I said about it was that the New Testament churches were, were not uh, governed by one person, that New Testament is, is adamant about that, and it's evident all over that the, that the governance in the church, the way the pastorate functioned was a a group of men who were qualified to be pastors uh, led the church, taught the church, they met with members in their homes, they edified members, encouraged members, corrected members, and all kinds of things. Um, but they were uh, leading the church, and, and they were, went by the, the term elder, overseer, pastor even. Uh, more recently have become, been called pastors. Um, but essentially, their job was leading the church. Their job was uh, discipline. Uh, that, that is not just necessarily correcting someone, but it may also be just the doctrine of the church or the, the way the church is shaped and, and what the church, the regular paces the church goes through. Uh, planning and executing the direction of the church uh, and obviously distinguishing themselves and modeling the Christian life from the church body. So helping to demonstrate this is... Uh, the way we want to go as disciples of Jesus. This is how we want to follow Jesus. So elders are held to that uh, qualification. We see that in the New Testament. And I made an Old Testament argument and, and said, look, the elders uh, have been around since the beginning. This has been kind of the plan, how God has led his people since Moses, we're talking about. But even the tribes were led by elders and things like that. And then last week, what I tried to do was show the church even after the apostles die, and after Jesus is gone, the apostles die. The second generation church, and third generation church, and fourth, they're all putting in a plurality of elders. And so, really the last three sessions has all been the biblical arguments for why elders should be leading the church. Um, but now, I think there, the, we have to spend the next three weeks talking about, so what does that actually look like? In, in a church? Like, what should a church that is led by a group of elders actually look like and function like? And, and questions like, how is my life going to change because we do this, right? So, we voted in on Sunday. What happens on Monday? You know, short answer, probably nothing. You're going to wake up just like you did before, and you're going to go, you're going to go, hey, look, uh, there's elders in our church, and they're, they're pastoring our church, and and that's it. Uh, <laughs> there's you know, not much different. Uh, but, but questions like that are really important. And so what my hope to do tonight is really to flesh out what it looks like for a church that's led by a plurality of elders. And over the next three weeks to really do that. How restoring the role of elders to its proper place impacts you. Next week, how restoring the deacons to their proper place impacts you as a church body. And then, what that means for congregationalism. Like how you as a church member can actually function as a church member in a church that's, that's led that way by, by a plurality of elders. So, um, and in that, hopefully answering a lot of those questions as to what it actually looks like for this to take place. So, 
Um, so we're going to deal specifically with some of the bylaws that we have. And I, I don't want that to be boring or uneducational for anybody, but just uh, to just think deeply about what a church should look like. So one major step in moving our church in the direction of health is to restore the two scriptural offices, elders and deacons, to their biblical direction. If the leadership of the church is functioning in ways the Bible doesn't sanction, there will be no limit to the church's capacity for waywardness. I need you to think about that for just a second. What is at stake when you see evidently in Scripture this is how the church is supposed to function, and you decide collectively as a church body not to do that? Now, you may go, you may look at the New Testament and say, well, I don't think they're mandating that for everybody. Maybe we don't have to do that. What is your argument to the person walking in who hears you say, we have no creed but Christ, right? Or like the Baptists used to say in just more recent history. Or, or we, but we stand on the Word of God. We preach only the Word of God. And yet we don't do what it says. What does it say about the actual impact the Word is making on us as a church body if we don't do that? And then, what, is, what are the limits? Where's the fence line? Where's the line you draw in your own personal life or in the life of the church when you say, here is what God sa- God's Word says, I'm not going to obey that, then what can't you do? If you look around your cu- the culture right now, I'm talking about church culture. I'm not just talking about CNN or Fox News or any news channels or whatever. I'm talking about church culture. If you look around, you will find a number of churches that justify all kinds of sinful practices, will say, it's, it's fine, it's great, you, you too can participate in that, and God wants you to even. He, he loves you. And they'll go back to passages of Scripture and say, oh, well, that doesn't mean that, or that doesn't apply to us, or, well, that was only cultural, or that was this, and that was that. And they they just kind of sweep it under the rug. Then what won't you do? Is there a line where God actually says, no, that's too far? Well, if we want to compromise here and then look at other churches that are compromising even greater, can we actually do that? I don't think we can. And there's no limit to waywardness. It would just keep going. If we don't actually look at the Word of God and go, well, it says this and we should just do that. Why don't we just do that? Um, So, a healthy church, it cannot be produced by bylaws. And I don't want you to think that when we put, you know, I put these bylaws out there and say, look, this is, you know, moving, we want to move toward health as a church body, that, that health could ever be produced by bylaws. You have the best bylaws in the world and the church be as corrupt as the day is long, right? Okay, Uh, no question about that. Paul's there in Corinth instructing the church at Corinth and they got corruption up and down. They got elders. They got all the stuff that we would think would be healthy and they do not have health, okay? Um, So... There's nothing that will produce health except, um, sorry, let me read that again. While a healthy church cannot be produced by bylaws, an unbiblical structure communicates to everyone, member and visitor alike, what God's people think of His Word and how closely we follow His instruction. That isn't where I'm supposed to be. That's why I was confused. This is where I was supposed to be. Sorry. It skipped twice on me. I don't know why I did that. That was probably my fault. I, I pounded it, and it's somewhere along the way. I was, when I read it, I was like, that's not what I was supposed to be saying. I'm, I'm so confused. Uh, no set of bylaws, no group of elders and deacons, no worship style or church building could ever produce a healthy church in and of itself. A healthy church is comprised of a regenerate membership sitting under sound biblical preaching and teaching and striving together toward holiness in an effort to demonstrate the glory of Christ. All right, I'm about to unpack it, Shannon. That's what I always do, right? (laughs) 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 
Um, so, if we, so in this, your vocabulary, our vocabulary for healthy church kind of needs to be there. Like we need to start thinking in those terms. We've been thinking in those terms. We need to start regularly speaking in those terms and knowing what it is that we're striving toward. You have to know it's a goal. We're never going to cross the finish line until glory. Okay, right? But we're always wanting to move in that direction toward a healthy church body. So what is a healthy church body? Well, it's not going to be produced by bylaws. Okay, that's not what we're saying. It's not going to be produced by the way you're set up and if the elders are, are there or the deacons are there or the you know, style of worship that we do. It's really upbeat and it's really, they got it going on in there. Or the preaching is just so short or it's just as long enough or any of that kind of stuff. None of that's going to be the production of health. A healthy church is comprised first of regenerate membership. What is regenerate membership? What's that? Degenerate would be the opposite of regenerate. Yes. Regenerate membership would be Christians. And you go, well, yeah. Right? Regenerate membership is Christian. That seems very obvious. That if you're going to strive toward health, the membership of the church has to be Christian. Okay. How many people come here on a Sunday morning? So let's say it's ballpark 120 to 130, somewhere in there. Let's, outside of kids, how many people are on our roster? A whole lot more. And for how many years? Do you know what they're coded as? What we consider them? Our church body considers them? No, no, no. <laughs> we, consider them, we consider them members. So, what is the purpose of a membership? What is the purpose? Is it so that we can go, when I go to a meeting with another pastor, well, look how many members we've got. Is that what the reason is? Like the YMCA does? Yeah, and specifically, not just for us to be a family member, that's part of it, to be a family together, but specifically for the elders to know who they're pastoring. Right? So, somebody comes to our church, let's say, and they come here for a year, and they just visit. They just sit on the pew, and they're faithful. Maybe they even give. And they just, they're just, you know, they walk out the door, and maybe they participate in small groups, or maybe they come to potluck. And in and every way, they participate in the life of the church. Why would it be that I would sit down with them and say, you probably should consider joining the church membership? Why? Yes, so they don't fall through the, the cracks, which is not exactly what I expected you to say, but so, that, so they don't fall through the cracks, kind of. But, but if they're coming and we have their, not their phone number and they're a part of like small groups and things like that and, or Sunday school classes or building blocks or whatever and People talk to them, and they're, they're regularly kind of, you know, hugging on them and stuff like that. You, you can call them. If they fall through the cracks, you'll call them, won't you? You'll say, where'd you, where'd you go? Right? And, you know, they may come back, let's say. What would be the purpose, then, of them going to the next step and actually joining the church? See, they're, they're, it's one thing for them to consider us their church. It's another thing for us to consider them a member to know what our relationship is, actually. So, you, once you become a member of the church, your relationship to the elder body and the elder's relationship to you is now different because there's been a formal commitment. In, this, in a similar way, parents, your kid grows up and they, they get, strike up a relationship with some, somebody and you're going to tell them at some point in the dating process, put a ring on it. If it's your son, you're going to go, hey, marry the girl, right? Well, why? Can't they have most of the benefits of marriage without actually being married? That's the argument being made by the culture today, right? Can't you have the benefits of, being, of marriage without actually being married? And you would say, as a godly Christian parent, no. Why? Because there's a commitment 
and an oath that you're swearing to one another in that ceremony that actually is very important. So it is in membership. When someone says, I am a member, they are now opening themselves up to be examined by you, the elder body, and by you, the church members. Now the relationship's different. See, I could come to church on Sunday, and I could go to potluck, and you might, you might ask me about my sin, but if I say, yeah, I sin a lot, and I don't even really care about it, what are you going to do? Well, nothing. You're going to go, well, you shouldn't do that, but then if I get really uncomfortable, I'll just leave. And you can't do anything about it. When you become a member, you're opening yourself up to church discipline now. And you're saying, I want my life to be examined by you. And I want to help in the examination of other church members. Because we're actually moving toward a goal here. And the goal is heaven. And I don't want to, as you say, fall through the cracks. I don't want you to fall through the cracks. I want us all to get there and to cross the finish line. And the way we help each other do that is accountability. It's building each other up. It's encouraging one another. It's correcting one another, right? So that step of membership is really important. So what happens then when a church has a membership roster, half the people are unaccounted for? You know, maybe they move to Sheboygan and they go to a church up there that just never sent us a letter to transfer their membership from one place to another. That happens all the time. But shouldn't we know that's what's going on? Yeah, we should. So, when we say regenerate membership, when we move toward membership, when we're, as we're moving toward a healthy church body, part of it is going to be clarifying who do we consider a member of this church and who considers themselves a member of this church. Let's get all of that parsed out, right? So, a regenerate church membership sitting under sound biblical preaching and teaching. That's two sides. One is the preacher has to be preaching sound biblical preaching. The other side of that is the people coming have to actually come. <laughs> they have to actually sit under it, right? You, you don't want a membership that is supposedly regenerate that says, yes, I'm a member of this church or I want to be a member of this church, but I don't actually come to church and sit under the sound biblical preaching and teaching. Because it's Paul in Timothy that tells us that's how the membership is trained and equipped for the work of ministry and how they're built up and corrected and all of those things towards soundness. So how can we be a, a healthy church if, one, the membership isn't regenerate, two, the people aren't actually coming and sitting under sound preaching and teaching? N next, striving toward holiness in an effort to demonstrate the glory of Christ together. So they're striving together toward holiness in an effort to demonstrate the glory of Christ. So out of all of that preaching and teaching, out of all of that you know, church membership and regenerate church membership, is a goal. And that goal is to glorify Christ and to depict to the people sitting next to you and to the rest of the world, those people are different they talk to people different. They greet people differently. They help each other like crazy. They do things that are otherwise strange and that you don't see in this world. That is the church we want to be. That's what our goal is. And so in order to have that, you have to have the regenerate church membership. You have to have... I'm pounding this thing all day and it's getting skipping around on me. So... You, you have to get all of those things in place, and the bylaws don't produce that, but because you can have wayward bylaws that don't recognize the Bible at all, if you have a regenerate church membership sitting under sound biblical preaching and teaching, who's striving toward holiness together, then they're going to look at their bylaws and go, this doesn't reflect the Bible that we're hearing. Right? So what the bylaws are, it's not to produce health, it's a reflection of health. Does that make sense? Okay, that's where we want it to be. So, um, you could use it for a number of different ways, but that's where we want it to be. That's the place we want it to sit. So, a healthy church cannot be produced by bylaws. An unbiblical structure does communicate to everyone, member and visitor alike, what God's people think of His Word and how closely we follow His instructions. So, as the closer people get to our church, and they, 
you get to Acts 20, and, and you see Paul there talking to the elders at Ephesus, and you see him appointing elders in every church, and you see him doing this, that, and the other, and, you, and people get to that passage of Scripture, and it's taught here from the pulpit. It's skipped again, isn't it? All right, sorry. One of these days, it's going to function right. And I'm going to observe it jumping on me without me touching it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go, it's... Uh-huh, then we're all messed up. All right. So once they get closer to the church, and once they start to see what you're preaching, or I get to, I get to Paul appointing elders, and elders doing this and that and the other, and they're going to go, wait, why don't we have that? In fact, I would say the number one question that I get from new membership candidates coming to this church has been since the day I got here. What do you think about elders? That is the number one question I get. Now, I get a lot of different questions, but that is the one that is most common amongst everybody. Why do y'all just have the one? So, that's what people think, right? That's what's going to happen. Okay. Um, So, in the proposed bylaws... The office of elder is then, I think, restored to its biblical function in a number of ways. And the first is that instead of the office being referred to as as the pastor, that has been scratched out in every place that it occurs to the best of my ability, the bylaws recognize a body of elders slash overseers who may also be referred to as pastors. These pastors will be equal in authority, and though they may have different areas of focus, they will all share the responsibilities of the office. So I want you to see that as it's written in the bylaws. On the attached page there is a recommendation. Uh, Bylaw, it's section 2A, subsection A, paragraph 1. feels like a criminal code here. Um, The elder body shall be comprised of not less than three men who satisfy the qualifications for the office of elder listed in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 and Titus 1, 6-9. Their training, skills, and experiences are needed in this area of leadership. Now, um, so immediately what would be recognized by the bylaws is um, no less than three men to be, including me, including me, uh, to be elder. Here's one thing that changes in the way that you think about your church. There, normally, uh, in most any, a lot of Baptist churches you go to nowadays, you would say that is the pastor, right? And one thing that's not, really, at least that I foresee, going to change about that is that I will be preaching the lion's share of the sermons. Basically, the preaching schedule change very, not at all. Um, so, uh, so you will still say, like, that, well, that's the guy that preaches, right? But how will you think of the other people who are also elders in our church? They are pastors of equal authority. The one thing you don't want, and we've talked about this a number of times already, the one thing we've seen time and again we do not want is for someone to have the authority of the pastor to open the scriptures and for you to see, submit to your leaders. Obey those who God has put it over you. And you look up at the guy that's at the pulpit. That's him, right? Now I'm in a position where I have to submit to that guy And that guy has to submit to no one. You don't want that. At all. We don't want that as a church body. Many churches have that, and I think it's demonstrating poor health. Or it's actually moving towards poor health. Because what happens when that guy goes wayward? The Bible starts to go wayward, but maybe he still continues to preach as a hypocrite the, the sound doctrine, but he's as wayward as he's crooked as a dog's hind leg. What happens then? Nobody is there who has equal authority to come beside him and say, no, that's not right. Right? 
No. So then there's the question, right, about the training, their training skills, experiences are needed in this area of leadership. I want you, when you get home, we won't look at it tonight, but I want you, when you get home, to look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and Titus 1, 6 to 9. And I want you to ask yourself, is what is required here seminary training? What is Paul putting on the church for the qualifications of elder? Is it seminary skills? Is it, hey, that guy over there preaches like Charles Spurgeon. That guy over there preaches like Charles Churgeon. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that guy's dry as an old piece of toast, and that guy's really great. And I hate it when that guy preaches, and I love it when that guy preaches. Therefore, the guy that's boring shouldn't be an elder. Is that what Paul puts on the office of elder? He doesn't. I'm going to shock you real quick, okay? By all accounts of the church at Corinth, Paul was boring. They told him he was boring. That he was a babbler. They, they, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if the Apostle Paul showed up in this church one Sunday, obviously, well, we'd have to get over a shock of him being raised from the dead. I get it, but let's say he was here, and he sat down on the pew. I ain't preaching that Sunday. I'm going to say, Paul, here's a copy of the Bible. Get up there and say something, right? Okay, <laughs> just like I would if Jesus walked in the door or anybody else from that era, obviously. You know, like I, I would. So that's not what Paul puts on the qualifications of elder. But, but, but pay attention to what it is. You'll see the lion's share of it is character. Then there are qualifications of being able to teach. And ask yourself, what does it mean to be able to teach? Does it mean that the person is, man, they can answer every question that there is in the Bible? Or does it mean they understand what the Bible is saying, they can teach it to someone else, they can, otherwise they can explain it to someone else, and they can point them in the direction of truth, right? Doesn't mean that they're Spurgeon, doesn't mean that they're anybody else for that matter. It means that they are able to take the word, they understand what it means, they're able to explain it to somebody, and then they're able to move that person toward, toward truth, right? So just read through those qualifications and go, what does that mean? Yeah, go tear, tear your moms. Sure. Yeah. They do have a difference. Yes, yeah, so the question, two questions. One was, uh, say the first one again. Uh, oh, yeah, number. Uh, yeah, I remember. D does it have to be an odd number, and how do you tie break and all that kind of stuff? Uh, and then the second one was they're equal in authority, but they're different in responsibility and, prayer, and, and pay. And the answer to the second one is yes. There are different areas of responsibility. Elders as a whole are responsible for the whole congregation. So if you're an elder, you're responsible for every member. It doesn't matter if they're a child or an adult, okay? Um, but, or I should say anybody that's here. As, but there are some responsibilities that are divvied up. So Jeremy will still be working with students, and, and Tom will still be, for the most part, working with children and doing some music and stuff like that. And so there will be areas of responsibility that they have. And then, we'll get to the pay part in just a second, but there will be a difference in, in pay, um, and this is sort of awkward for me to talk about because I don't ever control my own salary. So, um, you know, I'm speaking sort of out of turn here. But, um, yeah, taking myself out of it, essentially there, there is, we'll see the role of head pastor is there, which is, I know it's kind of, it kind of communicates not unequal. That's not true. What it is is just the designation for the person that will be doing the lion's share of the preaching. And that title may change eventually. You know, that may, the responsibility may change in order to better communicate what's happening there. But, um, but so the answer to the question is yes. As far as the odd thing goes, um, the elder body will make decisions and think through things that they're going to bring to the church body for vote. In the event that there is division amongst the elder body, there is probably an equal amount or greater division in the church. So, if there's a division amongst the elder body that, that really should be uh, 
more of a, a, a what's the word, y unanimous decision. Maybe not unanimous, but we're, we're in pretty much agreement here. If there's not that amongst the elder body, it's not something we should bring to the church anyway, right? So um, that's going to require a lot of those character traits that you read about in the, in the elder body to be there in that room, right? So there's an importance when you vote yes or no on an elder to be an elder your church, that you're recognizing they have that character quality, and I want them in that room because that's needed in that room. Does that make sense? So... They are not automatically anything. What is going to happen on Sunday, on the Sunday that we vote, is if the bylaws are approved, the second, the second and only other line item on the agenda will be me proposing Tom and Jeremy both to be made elders in the church. Um, and what that will have is we'll have, we'll have that proposal, that motion, and then there will be two weeks before we vote Yes or no on that? Right away we would. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Would we ever have a situation where, there would, where only paid staff would be elders? If Tom and Jeremy were given a yes vote, which I would suspect they would be, but if they would be given a yes vote, then that's the moment we would have only paid staff right there being elders. But what um, what's then going to be the process is us gathering together other men, talking to other men about being elders in our church. And so it's going to take, once we set up the bylaws, it's going to take then a year plus to get everybody in place to know what they're doing, to get them up to speed with how to elder the church. And trained and all those kinds of things. So it's going to take a while to get everything in place, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, okay, so equal in authority. That's one thing that will be significantly different. Uh, in the proposed bylaws, the office of elder will be restored to, uh, to, in a second way. In addition to the elders, to elders which may be paid staff, the bylaws also recognize men who meet the biblical qualifications of the office but remain mostly unpaid by the church. These are commonly referred to as lay elders. We'll, we'll refer to them that way, just colloquially. But they are pastors all the same. They still equal in authority and all that kind of stuff. They just, they, they aren't routinely compensated by the church. There may be times where they teach a building block where they are compensated for the work that they did in the building block in some way, small way, $50 gift card or whatever it is, you know. But they're not regularly compensated by the church in terms of salary. And they don't necessarily do the same day-to-day -day tasks that the people who are compensated by the church do. So you would have an elder body made up of paid and paid staff and laity, but they would have to meet the qualifications. One, have to. No compromising there. And second, they would, uh, they they would be seen as equal in authority just like everybody else, whether they're paid or not. Okay? All right. Third, collectively, these elders share the responsibility of the doctrine, discipline, direction of the church, and individually must be distinct models of Christian life. So, um, so they are meeting together. They are thinking through the doctrine, the teaching calendar, preaching calendar. They are talking through decisions, things to how to pastor certain people, how to uh, what needs certain people have, spiritual needs primarily, what, what things that we need to be doing, that we should be doing, that we're not doing, what things should we not be doing, that we are doing. Um, so that is a, a meeting that we would routinely have as, elder as an elder body together and would be determining those things together. And some of those things will not ever make it to the church for vote because it's going to be, uh, you know, what are we preaching, you know, or you know, I heard Shannon had a bad day, you know, a couple days ago. Well, what are we going to do about that? You know, and, you know, so, right? So, like, I'm just using it as an example. I'm just picking on I know you, I guess, just shower you with, shower you with love. Um, but, but, but the point is, the, the, the things that we're talking about in that room are shared 
collectively as an elder body. So just imagine for an example, as an example, someone comes to my office now and they lay on me all these, you know, let's say marital issues that are going on at home. And they're just, it's just, you know, this isn't a real example. It just, it's all just coming out and, and all of this is, is being laid on me. It is right now, at that moment, up to me to do something here, to give some sort of counseling and advice and things like that. What I'm saying is, that responsibility even, the spiritual care, correction, uplifting, wisdom, anything that goes to that person will also be shared amongst the elder body. So that person could just as equally sit down with another elder in our church and receive counseling. It's not dependent on, is, is Michael available on this day? Well, I can't get a counseling appointment for eight weeks because he's you know, got this, that, and the other going on. No, no, the elder body is responsible for pastoring the congregation. So you can just as likely sit down with another person and pour on them the same thing. And that person is going to come back to the elder body and we're going to discuss it, right? Because that's the purpose. The purpose is that 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 group of elders are pastoring the church. They're shepherding and guiding together and they're working collectively to do so. Does that make sense? Tracking with me so far? Okay. So they share in those responsibilities of all all, all of the, the above. Four, the bylaws reflect the church being directed by the elder body in worship, in member meetings, in nominations, and in all other areas of church life. So um, I, I missed reading the, the portion on the, uh, the elder body uh, being lay elders and things like that, but I, I think that's sufficiently covered. Um, so this area of church life... Uh, wait, no, no, keep going. Um, Sorry, I'm, not, I'm used to reading the Bible. It's hard when you have to read the Bible. Um, so, if you'll notice, throughout the, the text of, of the bylaws that are being proposed, when it comes to member meeting, the ones leading that member meeting, where it used to be, uh, chairman of this, chairman of that, chairperson of that, it, it is elders are leading that meeting. Um, we, I changed the vernacular from business meeting to member meeting, and I recognize some of you will still call it forever until you die, business meeting, and I, that's okay. You know, makes me cringe every time you say it, but it's okay, it's fine. Uh, the reason I changed the vernacular from business meeting to member meeting is because you, what you will notice is that there will be far more times going forward into the future where the meetings that we have together, we do far less business and far more concern over the membership. Right? So, and as the church grows, that will also grow. So and so is, we, we've confronted this person, we've talked to this person, they refuse to talk to us. You know, we have, we've, we've warned them, we want them to come back and we want them to repent. How else can we do that? There's so much more concern that we have for the membership of the church than it will be just the dollars and cents. Right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the question was, why would we not get that? Well, you will. Your member meetings, they won't, you won't get less information, right? That's what I mean, is that they're, when, they bec- when in becoming member meetings, you're not getting less information. You're not, not getting the finances anymore. That's still a part of the, the meeting. What I'm saying is, we will be growing more concerned also with the membership, like, that is, that's coming into it, right? So you will start to feel the responsibility of being a member of this church is not just uh, dollars and cents, which for so many churches, and probably even for us from time to time, the, the whole process of meeting together, that one thing, well, I'm obligated to do it, gotta go and I gotta vote yay or nay because I don't want them to buy a thousand staplers, you know, whatever it is, you, all of it's concerned about dollars and cents. Well, if the church is making a ton of money, we must be doing something right. If we're not making a ton of money, we must not be doing anything right. And we move away from that altogether and think the financial picture is a picture of the, of the health of the church. It's, 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 a, it's a symptom, right? It's not the source of all, right? It is a symptom. If 
you know, we said we're going to do this financially, and we can't do that. Well, maybe that's a symptom of a bigger spiritual need that we have, right? So um, we're thinking more holistically about the membership meetings rather than it's only ever focused on this. That's why it's not a business meeting. It's more of a member meeting. Okay. Um, hello. All right. Um, so, next one. Five. While the elder body may include both staff and laity, they are distinct from other paid church staff, which, uh, or th there, there are uh, staff members that are uh, distinct from other paid church staff, which may be hired to serve various needs, ministry or otherwise, of the church at any given season. So, that what that means to say is that there could be people on staff at the church that are not elders in the church, right? So, uh, what that, so there's a big debate right now going on in Southern Baptist circles about who, what function people serve in church, right? Rebecca Bracknell is our church admin. She's an administrator. She's part-time. She's not, we're not saying we're moving her to elder, okay? I just wanted you to make that clear. All right. I, I <laughs> don't don't bust my chops on this. I'm just saying, right? Like that, that 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 at any moment we may we may get to a point in the future where we go, okay, we, we want to actually hire somebody who is working with the children. Their exclusive job is to be a children's minister. They may serve as a staff member of our church, but they may not necessarily be an elder in our church. The elders are not just so like if Tom was an elder. He wouldn't just be responsible for the children. He might, that might be his division of responsibility. He might have that task on a day-to-day -day basis. But he is responsible for every member of the church. Does that make sense? Right? But a person who might be hired to be on staff who's not an elder is going to be given a division of responsibility, and it's never going to go beyond that or around that. Um, okay. So these changes to the bylaws will, have, uh, will at least be a... Com um, these changes to the bylaws will have to be accompanied by a mindset shift on at least two fronts. First, in the way many are used to interact, uh, used to interacting with their pastor and staff, and second, in the way that many are used to promoting to promote change in the church. Um, phrase it however you want, but um, I mean. I think we need to unpack those for just a second because this is, I think, probably one of the most significant changes to especially Southern Baptist life for members of a church. Um, we are used to committees. And committees have been seen as the primary way that you get things done. Um, the primary way that you communicate, in some cases, what you want to see happen. So if you wanted something financially, if you said, hey, we really need to stripe the parking lot, all right, and you, you know that needs to be done. One way is to just stand up at a business meeting and go, hey, you know, I, I want to stripe the parking lot, and whatever. Another way is to go to the finance committee, who is made up of people in the church, and go, hey, can you talk to them in finance committee meeting about, about striping the parking lot? That's something that really needs to be done. And so the way you have of impacting change in the church is through that committee, right? And, and you go, hey, if, if, I can't, if I can't set up a time with Michael to go talk to him about this, the pastor of the church to go talk to him about this, then I can just go to the finance committee. And technically, here's Robert's rules of order, okay? In finance committee, somebody could say, I move that we restripe the parking lot. And the pastor goes, no, we can't afford that. And all the finance committee goes, yes, we can. We all vote yes. Guess what that's ha what's happening now? That's coming back to the floor to the church for vote. And if the pastor's going, look, I don't feel comfortable about spending $10,000 when we can't afford that. And the whole church goes, yes, we want to do it anyway. Guess what's happening now? Parking lot's getting, parking lot's getting restriped, all right? Um, now, obviously, there are things that happen in a church that are of much grander scale than that, and things can get really nasty sometimes. What, what's, what's happening, though, when you, when you think about church that way, 
Um, so I'll just let me fill in this blank that will help so we get this to the next slide. In many churches, not to mention companies or secular organizations, committees serve as a liaison between the leadership and the people, advocating for the needs of the people, holding leadership accountable, or promoting the people's interest to make changes. So typically, you'll see a Baptist church functioning something like this. Uh, committee is selected amongst the congregation. That committee uh, has a lot of different uh, abilities and powers and things like that to impact the leaders, even to make recommendations to the church body, whether the leaders agree to that or not. Um, and so that is kind of a, a common use that is technically in, the, in our bylaws right now. That's effectively how our bylaws function. Now, we don't have people on our committees that are, you know, working in that way, you know, or, or whatever, um, but that is technically how it works. So in an elder-led, congregationally ruled church, which is what these bylaws would become, this layer of communication, meaning the committees, between the elders and each church member is really vacated in favor of the pastors of the church dealing directly with the members. So then, any committees that exist will be administered and overseen by the elders for the purposes of implementing vision or gathering expertise. So, um, look at the third bylaw, uh, main section three, here on the back. Church ministry teams, also referred to as committees, will be administered by the elders who will make adjustments as necessary. A document containing a list of the ministry teams slash committees and responsibilities will be kept on file in the church office. So, in other words, instead of it functioning the other way, it would look much more like this. That the elders are working, are, their responsibility is directly to the members of the congregation. They're pastoring you. So, you, you may have a better relationship with Elder B than you do with Elder A. And so, if you you know, were particularly concerned about something or you, you had cares about something, you could go to whichever one you're more comfortable with and say, I really think we should as a church be striping the parking lot. And the elders meet together and they go, is this a deacon thing? Do the deacons need to just figure out what we need to do there and do this? And then pass it on to the deacons and it gets done, right? Or it may be something really serious. I really think this person is, is not a Christian. They claim they're not a Christian. They're running away from the faith. We need to do something about this. That is, your, your, you have an interface with the elders, and you come to them, you talk to them, you tell them what your concerns are. They meet, and they, that filters into how to lead the church better, how to pastor the church better, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and then the elders can potentially put together committees. As an example, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The finance committee is something that I don't see disappearing, not for a long time. Main reason being because on the elder body, there isn't a, a, a clear financial picture amongst all of us, right? But let's say, years to come, you have 1,000 members in the church, and you have 30 elders. And on that elder body, there are six executives of banks and you know, companies and things like that. The finance committee becomes a lot less necessary. As they're pastoring the church, and they have the wherewithal to pastor it financially, right? But the elders can also say, look, we need to have a clear financial picture, and Ann Akins is our treasurer, and we need her there. And around the table in finance committee, we need people of different perspectives, but we do need a, a good percentage of people who are financially minded to be there, right? Does that make sense? So, um, but, so then the committees are functioning to say, hey, let's help us keep track of the, the finances because we, we can't. Or we want to build a building and we don't know anything, we don't know squat about pouring a foundation. And so we're going to get people who are contractors or know a thing or two about building, and they're going to be a committee for us temporarily. Does that make sense? So committees are functioning different under elder leadership. They, they answer to the elders who are pastoring them all. Questions about that? So, last slide, and then you can, I'll open it up for questions. Therefore, the relationship that the members have with the elder body matters a great deal, primarily for you to be shepherding in, shepherded in following the Lord. Second, it matters for you 
to have your voice heard in regards to concerns, cares, and desires. So when there's, you know, five people that are elders, or three people, or a number of people that are, that are pastors of the church, saying what you need to say, expressing your cares, your concerns to one of them, is the same as expressing it to all of them, right? They're all sharing those concerns, they're laboring over them, they're thinking about how to either pastor you directly through that, or maybe that impacts the entire church, and it changes the way that they need to pastor the entire church. So that process is a little different than it functions now. Do you see that? Is that difference kind of there for you? It's not, maybe not radically different, but it is different. Questions? Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I, I will say this, again, changing your church bylaws to recognize a plurality of elders, putting elders in place, maybe even getting great elders in place, does not make the church healthy. So, where you will hear of bad experiences with elders, with a plurality of elders, there is unhealth in the church, and that's the reason for the bad experience. The same will be said of the singular pastor who has abused the congregation or has done maybe one uh, number of things, or maybe the church is terrible, right? That's all unhealth in the church, and that's always going to be here to one degree or another, right? We're always going to have, we're, we're all sinful, so we're all going to have sinful tendencies, we're all going to have carnal natures. We're all going to have those things, right? So what our job is as elders is not that we don't also have those sinful tendencies. We do. But one, to be checked by the other elders on the, uh, to be an equal authority, to check our own carnal natures. But then also to ensure and to give you help in doing the same. Because what happens is if a body of elders stops actually interfacing with the people of the congregation, and hearing where their sinful patterns are, where they're struggling, or maybe where they're, where they're doing really well and they need encouragement, or maybe where, where they're just, they, maybe just in depression and they need, they need something, right? They need some help of some kind. When they stop doing that, or when they stop being able to do that, the unhealth just continues to grow. Sin has to be dealt with. It actually has to be spoken to and dealt with. And so, you know, one of my biggest concerns in being here for the last six years has been, or almost six years, has been that I can't do that by myself. Not in the way it needs to be done at all. You know, it's one thing to, to just call somebody and to just talk to them on the phone, which is not my strongest suit. I'll, I own that. I know it. I, I told the pastoral search committee that when I got here, right? That's not my strongest suit. It's, it's just, <laughs> you know, but it needs to be done right? It can't be done by one person. I'll, I'll have you follow me one week, and it's, it's a lot of going, what am I going to teach? How am I going to teach it? Lay out what I'm going to teach. There's a lot of that going on, and I can take away from that and do some other things, right? And sometimes I do. And so, but having a plurality of elders helps to actually see that that's accomplished. All those things are accomplished. That the burden of, of counseling, which I say that in a, in a pastoral sense, not in a uh, negative sense. The burden of counseling is not on my shoulders by myself. That other people are taking counseling appointments, or premarital counseling appointments, or, or marrying people, or even burying people, or even preaching, right? That, that it's being shared across a group of people who are capable and qualified to do that. And that we as a church body, that's the mindset shift that is going, I'm, we're going to have to teach this a lot, but 
that is the mindset shift is that person who is an elder in our church is also a pastor in our church. And they are just as much responsible for me as the guy, quote-unquote, that was before. So, again, just, you know, it's not making help. It's, we're just recognizing what I think the Bible says. Other questions? Yes, James. Yeah, like a relationship between two people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, nothing in this is really trying to beat a dead horse. We're going to talk about deacons next week and, and restoring them to their proper role and how do we understand them, how do we see them. And uh, more than anything, I'm, I'm, you know, I've told you I'm making my closing argument to the jury as, <laughs> as you vote. Um, I think it's important to understand and just reiterate what I said before, that in regards to your experience to this day of the things that you vote for, the things you have a, a voting say in as a congregation, none of that's changing, right? Budget every year. That's in the bylaws stated. We've got to present it and present it to the congregation. It's, you're voting on it, right? Um, membership, in and out, you're responsible to vote for that. Um, you, none of those things are changing. What is what really this is getting at is how the church is pastored. Not just whether or not a sign is changed out front or a parking lot is striped, but whether there are people that actually come to my house. So my intention, uh, day one of bringing elders on on board, is to begin establishing routine yearly home visits. Don't let that scare you. All right. I know, right? You're going to have to clean. Uh, no, I'm teasing. You don't have to. Uh, but opportunities where, you know, once a year we can take a member of the congregation and go to their house and just sit down with them and talk with them. Don't need to be fed. Don't need to be, it doesn't need to be no formal meeting. Just sit on the couch and talk, right? But really talk about spiritual things. How are you doing? What is going on in your life? That needs to be done. That's needed to be done since I've been here, but is not quite able to be accomplished, right? And so being able to divide that responsibility up where the whole church is met with like that every year is important. It needs to be done. It should be done. And it's going to be done. So it's things like that that are being implemented now, right? where the people are actually being pastored and shepherded, and they are actually establishing better relationships with the people that are pastoring, right? So, if that helps to give you a better idea, uh, this isn't so commonly referred, it's not, it's not a power play. <laughs> this is actually diffusing uh, power, if you want to call it that. Uh, this is not about uh, you know, manipulating directions of the church or anything like that, you're still voting, you're still congregate. this is still congregationally ruled church. will always be. Yeah. Yes, questions? Any other questions? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for time together together and, and really to just think through the direction of our church. And I realize this is not the, the topic that is the most eye-catching or entertaining or engaging maybe, but... Uh, we know that it is tremendously important. And I pray that you would give us help and wisdom and direction. Um, I pray for the passage of the bylaw and that this would be implemented in our church. And I pray that soon after that, members of our church would begin feeling the impact in a very positive and godly way, the elders in the church. My prayer is that you raise up godly men whose desire is to do exactly what you've called them to do and what the Bible calls them to do and, and to aspire to the office of elder and to, to aspire a good thing in that, um, that they will be rewarded in that work. So I, I pray that you would raise up them too and, and I pray you would uh, bring people to the church who, who desire to be pastored 
who want to be shepherded and guided and, and loved and cared for in the way that your, your word deems necessary. So we pray that you would do that in and through our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.